Let's go! The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legends fade to myth, and even myth is forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, a wind rose in the mountains of myth. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. We bow, 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 bow. <laughs> that was nice. You come up with that yourself? Yeah, I actually thought of that myself. That's cool. No, uh, very quick fun fact starting off hot on the Wheel of Time deep dive episodes. That is the opening to every single chapter one of every single book. Mm. And if the that only- doesn't give you some insight right there to the kind of credibility we're bringing to the table, we got our king over here, Kyle Duell, bro. He's read every single one of these books and we're fucking ready to cross this goddamn. He show. did that all off the top of his head too. Yes, I did. <laughs> definitely not. He has it actually it, tattooed yeah. on his body. <laughs> you know what's funny is that Luke, you asked me that question like two days ago. I think about the books, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in every book." And then I was laying in bed, and I was like, "Let me check." So I, I have all the books. So I just like went to Eye of the World, looked at. it. I was like, "Oh, chapter one, okay." Then went to You Have My Great Hunt. So I went to the third book. I was like, "Oh my god, chapter one again." And I went through every book. I was like, "Oh my god, it's every book." So the only difference actually is that instead of the mountains of mist, which is where we open episode one at, the the two rivers, the town is in the mountains of the mist region. Essentially, the mountains are behind them, and then as the story progresses to different places, the wind moves through those places. Fucking, that's amazing! And when you told me that, that shocked me. And I'm currently on book three of the Wheel of Time, so like I'm still relatively green compared to some of the fandoms. But let's give a little bit of of where we're coming from here because me and Kyle are book readers. Like I said, I'm only through three books. Kyle has read all 14 minus the prequel. Yeah, 14 of the 15. Yeah, 14 of the 15 minus the prequel. And then we have our two newbies here that are just coming in fresh, know nothing about Wheel of Time and and just instant reactions. Tell me what you guys are thinking. Nah, so how dare you call me a, a newbie right now? Because this is my <laughs> third time watching these episodes. <laughs> so at least if we're talking one to three, I'm a master here. I'm definitely an SME. Yep. But Paul, I literally am fresh off of just watching all three back fresh. to back to back fresh we just like, watched yeah, we the plate is still hot do not yeah. touch it like we just finished and said okay let's go record i am loving everything about it i haven't been able or i haven't been asking or saying anything because i've been saving it for the pod so uh, i just want to say right off the bat luke you said this earlier right before we started game of thrones i know everybody's comparing it to this Ooh. i know we can't be doing that <laughs> can't but compare it but what you were saying, the first three episodes, Game of Thrones, they were all right. This, I am so in. I am so ready for Ooh. the rest of the season and beyond. So I'm going to give a little bit of a breakdown here of how this is going to go, because obviously this is going to be a global kind of television show that's going on. It's super popular and viral right now. And I want to just put it out front. We are not going to be talking any sort of any form of book spoilers for future episodes future seasons we're not going to we're not going to be viewing this through the eyes of a book reader this is strictly as show watchers obviously me and Kyle will be here to answer some specific questions that and and give some verbiage for for things that get a little bit tricky because it's a fantasy show it's very complicated there's a bunch of factions there's a shitload of history and we're we're going to be here to clarify and we'll put our two cents in but when it comes to theories you won't ever be hearing that from me and Kyle because we, we have a little bit too much knowledge going forward. But that's why we're going to be kicking it over to Dave and Paul constantly asking them questions, making sure that they have some ideas flowing. Because, again, we're not going to have any spoilers for confirmed future storylines or character relationships or anything like that. And for those who hadn't heard the instant reactions of one to three, I am also a newbie here. I've only seen the first three episodes <laughs> three times, but I haven't read any of the books. This third time watching them is new stuff is still popping up it's awesome to know that they the wheel of time can just keep producing information like that on third watch throughs yeah so we're just kind of we're going to keep our discussion just to these episodes we're going to try to look at the characters uh the relationships between them world building stuff we got plot developments and then paul and dave obviously will have some questions that we think that a lot of you listening might also have if you're new to the series so they're just going to fire them at us we're going to answer them we're just going to try to make sure that everyone is on the same page with what we are watching on the screen. Mm. So we open, we meet Moraine Sedai. So Moraine Sedai does a little bit of a clunky monologue about what is going on in the world. Um, We are looking for someone named the dragon. The dragon is a title. This person has been reborn and they will either save the world or break the world like they did last time. 
my uh, my money's on saving the world, <laughs> if I were to guess. I honestly could see how people would complain and saying, like, that's a weird way to open the show or like a whole monologue. Personally, I loved it. I thought like, hey, they are saying the entire point, the entire plot of the show right now, like the main goal. So when you're watching the opening scenes that follow, you're not like, what the hell is going on? Like you have a general understanding. And for anybody that has listened to our instant reaction, which is already out there, we dropped it. We dropped it based on our first viewing, which is about a month ago from when the episodes dropped. So we are going to repeat a couple things here and there just naturally by talking about the episodes again. But there are going to be some important things that we need to to go over again. And one of them right off the bat is I do want to say, and Kyle, I could throw it to you if you want to talk about the fact that this is kind of Lord of the Rings based and it's just nowhere. Just have expectations. You got to be open minded about what's going on because there's a reason that the start of this show is like it is. Yeah. So the Wheel of Time as a series, like we've said, 14 books, book one came out. I want to say like 1990, early 90s. At the time, Robert Jordan was not pressured, but it was a better idea for a lot of series, fantasy series at the time, to try to follow that structure of Lord of the Rings. So that's why there's a lot of familiar elements in the show. We meet Moraine. Moraine is kind of our Gandalf character. We move to some secluded mountain farming village, just like the Shire. We recruit a small band of people from that village. They are now thrust on this mission that they had no idea about yesterday. And everything that they've kind of heard in nightmares, fairy tales, everything kind of stories throughout their childhood, they're now learning are real as they get out into the world. So a lot of those things are cliches. They're kind of tropes. That's how it was done. But I will say that it starts that way. But Wheel of Time, for a good reason, is one of the most popular fantasy series of all time. It really finds its own way as we get further and further into this season one. And then as we move on to the, all the seasons that will come, this show is, there is so much in store that if you can kind of get over, I don't even think you need to get over it. Cause I still think it's fine. I like the cliches and the tropes I'm down with the whole, the chosen one, the prodigy thing, but the way that this series does it is wonderful. And I think everyone will like it. And just for those people that are completely unfamiliar with the books, there's 14 of them. There's a shitload of, I, we were just looking at a chart of the word count or page count. I forget what it was. It's just unbelievably long. Just know that the plan from Amazon, I think working, and of course this is subject to change as the years go on. This is, this could potentially be an eight season show. So with that in mind, you've got to understand that it's going to take some time to seed plant, get these characters and these factions put into the eyes of the audience. Because if you think back to where we were at game of Thrones season one, it had it was not popular. Nobody was watching it. But when you look back, it's completely necessary and it's incredible. So and I, I think this show has a better start than Game of Thrones already. So just just keep in mind, this is going to be a long burn. And hello to those people in the future that are just listening to this now for the I first was time. Just thinking that <laughs> I was this, like, yo, this season might, three just finished. This You're might not listening. blow up for five more. This uh, this podcast episode might not blow up for like five more years. Let's <laughs> knock on wood. You know, million Wheel of times the most popular show of all time. Yeah, you mean? Everyone out there listening is going to give us their money and just we're going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably benching like four. 125 pounds while you're listening to this 400 yeah like who's president right now while you're listening joe biden joe biden right now who's call calling president when this releases or like gets popular dwayne the rock johnson oh my god sarah palin <laughs> First right, come on, bring it back, bring right, it back. okay yes hello people of the future so so we move on from Moraine, giving us a little bit of backstory of this eternal struggle that we're now getting dumped into between the light and the shadow and I'm just curious of what you two, as in Paula and Dave, thought of this opening scene of the man on the run with this woman dressed in red. There's a group of women dressed in red, and clearly they don't like this man. They're hunting this man. So he can channel. We know this only because he has that man that is next to him speaking to him. Which we learn to be the madness already has. Exactly. Right? Yes. And she says to him, this power was meant for women. And when you touch it, you make it filthy. What did you think of that start to the series? Phenomenal. I mean, what a great way to just... It also, I mean, from my perspective also, because you two are such subject matter experts, like I already kind of had a background. So it wasn't surprising to me to see that this is how men who use magic in this world are treated. It wasn't shocking to me, but... At the end of the day, it was still an excellent portrayal. Uh, portrayal. Kyle, me and Kyle have talked like just behind the scenes, just like texting and stuff. 
into one of the best cast of characters, I think, Leandrin Sedai. Yes, the blonde woman with the, the mm-hmm. jaw structure that could crush my whole body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she can cut into a safe with that thing. Um, <laughs> but, That's good. Uh, I'm really interested to learn more about her and Moraine's relationship mm-hmm. because they're both Sedai. So they're both obviously. Sedai. They're both Aes Sedai. Part of Aes Sedai. Sedai is just the, t- like the title you add to the end of your name. Okay. So they're both Aes Sedai. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like if you're a priest, you're like Father Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. actually, and they call each other sisters. Okay. So they didn't really interact right here, but they did seem to be working together because obviously Moraine was like looking down. What is the relationship in the the White Tower or within the Eyes to Die and all the Sisterhood? One other comment too. Luke already said, like he already mentioned the factions and how the, the world building and the, the differences of the different cultures. I'm really interested to see. Do you guys the man on the run? Was this an a faction that you guys know of in the future? No, I think that was just showing the idea that she says the, the verbiage she's using is like you're tainting the power by using it. Mm-hmm. She, there, there's some people that are eyes to die that just are disgusted with the idea of men using it. Gotcha. So it's he wasn't anything specific. It was more to highlight Leandrin. And it's also there's a reason why it comes right after Moraine's monologue about the dragon and the threat that the dragon may pose. There is people in the world that are afraid of what's to come with that because it says that the dragon may save or break the world yeah there's a lot of thought that the dragon will end up being a man because the original dragon was a man Mm. so there's a lot of fear in the world of men using the power there's a reason why they were those two scenes were back to back Mm -hmm. seeing it and hearing what the word choices that she has for the man in that moment is just shows you how much distrust and hatred they have towards them so it's just cool getting that background information in the first very first scene. We then find out that Moraine and her warder, Lan, which is her basically bodyguard, played by Daniel Henney. Beast. And, yes, I've definitely. Seen his butt. <laughs> you have seen his butt. We'll talk about his butt. Don't don't get ahead of us, Paul. Sorry. Now I'm thinking about his butt. <laughs> Dude, I'm looking down at my notes and right in the middle, in the biggest letters that I have. Land booty is tight. Shout out Daniel Green if anybody knows the, the fantasy community. Yeah. He has tweeted like seven times about Land's butt since this is already premiered. He's the fucking man. So Moraine tells us that we are now on our way to the two rivers. There are four Taviran there is what the word that she uses. We won't talk about what Taviran is. That is a term that they throw out in the beginning of this episode and then they don't talk about. The show will tell us what that is. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. That word is important. And I just wanted to mention before we get to the two rivers, the shot that we pan up to of all of those rock formations. What was the thought when we got to that? Tight. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is, we literally I was watching it with uh, somebody else who was watching it for the first time. And he goes, yo, that's a good shot. And I was like, yeah, I agree. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that will get explained why that the way that is the way that that is. I was going to say it literally looked like an old city with like buildings that were just like taken over and covered. Look at this guy. Oh, my God. It really was smart. See, this um, is why I like watching TV with Paul. I made this <laughs> comment off off pod while we were watching. But Paul's a very good TV watcher. Paul is such a fun theory. Crafter he can he's pick up on like, shit. It's just stream of consciousness, like just dropping any thought, even if it gets disproved two scenes later. He's like, well, you know, eh, moving on. At least I verbalized it. should start a podcast, really. I'll think about <laughs> it. But Moraine also says that old blood runs deep in the two rivers. Yeah. And the first time I heard that, I wrote it down because I was like, oh, that's cool. And a little bit of a spoiler later, we hear a little bit of a song of it. And I was like, yo, I really liked how they, you know, place this here, place that there. Yeah, it'll give you rewarding rewatch value. It's nice that you mentioned that because making that connection between old blood, your history, your ancestry, and then the turning of the wheel of time as a cyclical thing Mm. is definitely something you should keep in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what old blood means necessarily. I just know the story of the two rivers. Yeah, yeah, you will. You will. So speaking of the two rivers, we mm. get to the two rivers mm. and we meet a whole cast of characters. So this is where the show gets. It gets a little fast paced in the sense that it's throwing a lot of people at us. Mm-hmm. I would like to start with Tam and Rand Althor. So this is a father son duo that we meet. We get a little bit of background on the two of them. Rand's mother is dead and Rand himself is carrying a bow. So a little bit of background on that is that the two rivers is famous for bowmen 
and archers. Uh-huh. So I think that was a little nice little nod to mm-hmm. they don't really mention that okay. in the series. Or I'm sorry, in these episodes. But that is a big thing with the two rivers is that archery is huge. Rand's there. dragon reborn potential just slightly bumped up a little bit. Why though? Because they all have it's the two rivers is known for the bow. Yeah, I just, just mean just in general, like if he's already naturally good at something, that I feel like that okay. just gives him a boost. I mean, he is combat ability plus one. I think he is the only one in the show so far that has had a bow and arrow. So, yes. But we also have to just shout out to Game of Thrones, Roose Bolton, baby. Let's fucking go. What the, what an opposite. Like, okay, it's the same genre of fantasy. Of, uh, did you know his actor's name? Uh, it's McClellan, Michael McClellan, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I feel bad that we don't have that right on tap, but he is just fantasy genre, but like completely reverse where. In Game of Thrones, he was just like the evil Roose Bolton who was ready to betray. Where here, he's completely just like a great father. At at first, I was getting weird vibes from him. I wasn't getting great father vibes from him until he says to Rand, like, my only job in life is to be your father. I love you. And it's just like heartwarming. It's great to see that. But at first, I was a little skeptical of the guy. Because it's I guess it's because he was Roose Bolton. Always be skeptical. Yeah, exactly. And this fucking show specifically. Yeah. It was very nice to see that actor smile. He didn't yes. smile once <laughs> yeah. in Game of Thrones. The only time he smiled is when he looked over at whoever the fuck, the mom, right before Rob Stark gets killed. He smirks. It wasn't a <laughs> Are smile. You red wedding spoilers, bro. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the fuck sorry. There's a smirk there. Not a smile, but a smirk. I will say it was cool because another little sprinkle of detail here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, he pulls out the bow. The first time we see it is because Rock Slide. And then they're like, oh, man, the wolves are active. Right? Yes. And, oh. And then we get a bunch of wolves later on. So yeah. I liked how they gave the surrounding of the environment saying, hey, there are actually animals like that are a threat to us. Oh, yeah. And that is very true to the books. And there's exact in the scene of Rand and his dad making their way to the two rivers where I'm sorry, to Emmons Field. For the festival in the books, they mentioned that the wolves are a little bit more active than they usually are. And Everyone's scared of wolves all the time. I know they say that Rand and his father, Tam, Tam, yes, live up in the mountains. You mm-hmm. know, Matt has a line later on saying, like, you know, don't stay up mountain too long. Do they say how far it is from the rest of the town? Because, you know, it you assume it is like quite a long journey because of the when the Trolloc attack happens and it's yeah. so segregated from the rest of the village attack yeah, yeah. they have a farm they're sheep farmers sheep, sheep herders yeah sheep herders and it's it's a distance it's a little yeah. bit out there but that is like their only place like emmons field is the only place that is within relative range of them to go and lit like meet people gotcha. yeah. i have yeah. a follow-up question that i will save until we get to the end of episode one okay we follow tam and rand into the village which is emmons field and we go to the Wine Spring Inn. Wine Spring Inn is where we meet a lot of new characters. Everyone is partying. But the important thing is that we meet Matt and Perrin. So Matt is Rand's friend who is trying to gamble at the table. Perrin is his friend who's sitting across from him who's trying to stop Matt from gambling. <laughs> so what were we thinking when we first meet Matt in this scene? Yeah, first introduction thoughts. Honestly, loved him. Really? Love Which me a one? gambler. Matt, no, Matt, Matt, love me a gambler. Perrin's just like the fatherly figure, I guess, in this scene. He's like, you got to calm down, watch your money. And it's like, nah, let that man spend some money. Let him get his bills. Let him put some fucking bread on the table. <laughs> Love me some Matt in this scene. Complete opposite. But dude. no, I get, I mean, my opinion of him fluctuates as the episodes go on. Absolutely. But right now I'm like, all right, yeah, let the man have his fun. He's just trying to party. I thought he was so annoying. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you want to gamble? That's, that's fun. Fair. As soon as you lose, and like, come on, come on. One more round. One more round. I was like, bro, shut up. Right. You already lost. And then also, you know, here he at the end of the scene when he's like, all right, fine. Nobody's going to play with me anymore. He eyes up the bracelet and he's like, all right, yeah, let me go smooch on this chick so I can pull a fast one on her. I will say it is difficult to see people like gamble themselves into a hole like that. Oh, yeah. There's an episode of The Sopranos that's like that with Tony just throwing so much money on the NFL and he keeps losing. And it's so cringeworthy to watch. I just hate every second of it. Yeah. But honestly, Perrin didn't make a mark on me until a little bit into the later episodes. Yeah, I'm gonna say like, a lot of screen time. Early. He doesn't really have much. And I think uh, the reason why I probably like Matt more in this scene is just because he has more personality going. He has more charisma. So I think we should rip the bandaid off now and just get the quick conversation off about the actor who plays Matt. 
So if you if this is the first time you're hearing it, he has been recast for season two and on. And it's not really public of what the reason is, but and we won't comment on that at all, of course. Just know that this actor is going to be replaced for season two and on. And this is obviously going to be one of our main characters. So it's hard to watch season one because, in my opinion, he, he portrays the character so incredibly well. And I, I love his performance. And just take it with a grain of salt because it is going to be different when we move forward. But we're just going to have to take it in stride. Better now than season three. I totally agree. It sucks, definitely, because after watching this so many times, I'm like, damn, I'm really getting attached I, yeah. to him. I didn't want to. He's funny, man. The actor's funny. But, you know, at least better now than later in seasons. While all of this is happening, at the same time, Egwene, so she is going on with a ceremony with is what is known as the Women's Circle. She's basically getting initiated and becoming a woman. That's kind of like the ceremony in this village, in this part of the world, is you get your braid like that. And that's how you are finally able to be considered a woman. So, Quinceanera. <laughs> I, yeah, that kind of caught me off guard, but why not? Well, that's only, yeah, I mean, they're 20, though. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more like a bat mitzvah, but okay, yeah. we'll go with quinceanera. Bat. So my fucking, I literally had a note. I was like, what is the whole point of this? So thank you for clarifying that the whole point of that ritual was just becoming a woman in the village. Of the yeah, scenario. it's a little bit of it's not so obvious. It's more obvious when they get back to the inn. So we come to the inn where Nynaeve and Egwene. So Nynaeve is the woman who was wearing the green dress outfit with the long braid who pushes Egwene off of the ledge. So they come back to the wine spring and afterwards and join the rest of the village. That's when you kind of get the vibe that like everyone's proud of her and they're happy for her. That's kind of you're supposed to interpret it as it was a big thing. But I agree that they didn't really push it across that. Paul, trust me, that was literally my first question when we did the instant reaction was what the fuck was that whole thing about? Was it like her becoming an Mm -hmm. Aes Sedai? Is it like Mm -hmm. something else? But yeah, it was don't die. Hope you can swim. Definitely. My complaint. Number one is I just didn't care for any of that. What was the deal with the pushing thing? It's just to give them culture. I don't like it at all. Give more depth to the... If they gave a whole journey down the river, that took up screen time. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a whole meaning like she was going to be something. If they gave more explanation, that would have been nice. Like, because they have the whole line where it's like, by this braid, that means you are one of us in the Mm -hmm. women's circle. That means you'll will always be alone and never be alone. And that, it was like so deep. I was like, okay, where's this going? And oh, it's all symbolic for some farming just civilization. Ha- yeah. Just know. hazing. It was hazing yeah. for us. It's also when you said that quote, I instantly also thought of what I was saying of the I said I. It's like you'll never be alone because you'll have your your warden with you or whatever. Warder. Warder. Yeah, yeah warden. warden. Yeah, warden. Your jail warden. But so that makes me think that she's not the DR. She's gonna be some I Sedai, like a high powered I Sedai. We are not called the DR is not the dragon. Is yeah. that what you're saying? It's only my notes. Dragon, dragon reborn. reborn. Dude. Oh, okay. I was going to say, actually, I don't hate. I don't hate it. I thought you were just going for Literally, DR like dragon. I was so sick of writing dragon reborn out. So I was like DR. Okay. I'm no, in. I'm actually in. You changed I'm it. In. I literally, I, re- I did that too. But like, I'm reading it. I'm like the doctor. Moraine is looking for the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. The get DR. us back on track. Kyle. Okay. So we're in the wine spring in. Um, we actually end up meeting Egwene's parents. So that is Bran and Marin Alvere. They own the inn. And to kind of go a little bit further into this women's circle thing, in the books, there is the women's circle and then the village council. And they're kind of the two political bodies. So in the books, Egwene's dad is actually the mayor of the town. So he runs like the political body. Tam is on it. Like a lot of respected villagers are on it, but they didn't go into it in the show because it is a little complicated and not and super gonna, necessary. And we're going to ditch the village at some sure. point. Yeah. So. But so we go on parting through the night and Perrin is kind of asking Ran, like, how did it go? And Ran and Egwene are really not seeing eye to eye. They're kind of avoiding each other almost. And in walks a mysterious man wearing a hood who just kind of stands there. And then Nynaeve is the person that stands up and says, name yourself, stranger. He names himself as Land Mandragoran and then introduces Moraine. Dude, who- I was eek. Head, dude, <laughs> I was so hyped because they do the the it's great cinematography wise, like how, how it, it was all over the, the freaking trailers for months yeah. and stuff. But it's still epic when uh, Moraine just is walking in. It's all like blurry. And then she, it just clears up and she pulls her hood down and it's just fucking Moraine. And it's just so fucking cool. It's our Gandalf character. Hell yes. She flashes her Aes Sedai ring to Egwene's mom, Marin, and Egwene's mom names her Moraine Sedai, and a hush falls over the inn. 
So that's kind of our first tell that people in general are kind of like, oh, shit, I should die. And I still don't know if the ring is just a symbol or if the ring is an actual source of power. Put it on the board. I, I genuinely Put it don't on the know. Board. What do you uh, think? That is- I would say because of a future scene with a necklace, I want to say it is a thing. I want to say it is a source of power or a way to help channel. Um, and I, I'm going to butt in here real quick just to say something that I have recently learned now being three books into real time is it is such a slow trickle of information that you get that this show, when it's all said and done, it's probably going to have one of the highest rewatch values of, of all time of cross of any show I've ever seen because of how they're doing little things. Like you're saying, there's going to be answers that we might not get for two seasons that are such little things like how do magical items work in this world and stuff like that, where you're going to be guessing this whole freaking time until you finally get it. And then you look back and it just looks and it just all clicks. So I, I want the guesses to keep flowing. I love it because we also watched this episode, these couple episodes with another roommate who isn't on the podcast, but he was saying the same thing. He's totally convinced that the ring is the source of the power. And that's also a reason why right now, episode one, while we're podcasting a deep dive is going a little slow. There's a lot of things that happen that are important to set up, basically just establishing foundations for a lot of things that are going to go on in the future. So I just feel like it's important that we talk a lot of these things out. And if you've been listening to Benchtown TV at all recently, we've been stepping away from the scene by scene, dissect everything. But this show is going to be our baby. We're just suckers. We're like, if you're not a passionate fantasy fan, like this might not be for you because we're going to dissect the shit out of everything. And we're going to be asking our rookies to pull a lot of weight and guessing things and questioning them. So apologies if you think we're going a little slow, but we're going to dissect the shit out of everything. I think a nice little thing that we do learn is that after everyone leaves, it's you see the Althors and the Alviers are the two families that are cleaning up at the end. So I think that was a nice way to show that the two of them, those families, have a close relationship. But that leads us into a little steamy, little sexy time, Paul. But before we get to sexy time, I just want to shout out. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Uh, I got you. I just, Monster Energy. This is an advertisement. <laughs> I just I want to shout out the the line that Tam Althor says, because it gets brought up that there's a war that's being fought. That kind of gets talked about a little bit. And Tam Althor does say that I said I don't fight wars. They pull the strings of the world from the White Tower. So that was a good way, I think, to that's kind of the mindset of a lot of people in the world. This is a village in the middle of pretty much nowhere. They don't interact with people a lot. They only hear about I said I. They don't ever interact with them. So that's kind of the perspective that people have that they just kind of run the world and pull strings kind of not like super negative where like they think they're demons and like devils and shit but they don't have the most favorable viewpoint of Aes Sedai just untrustworthy at the end of the day you can't trust them yeah but then we get to a point where Rand and Egwene are alone we have a very nice line from Rand where he brings up the berries that he used to pick for her pulls the berry out of his pocket and then things get a little steamy yeah, a little too much clothes for my taste, but <laughs> but yeah, that I will say that was very smooth by Rand, much needed because the sexual tension from their eye contact is very important. So we move from a close on sexy time to a close off, not sexy time. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where we get land butt, land booty. Let's go. So him and Moraine basically take a bath together. This is kind of just an important way to show that their relationship can be very playful and they are very close, but it's not sexual. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they banged for fun or not, but I'm going to. I think it's still open on the board. From what we've seen in the show, it's still open for discussion whether they bang or not. I mean, they bathe together. Yeah, exactly. That's just like. Yeah, you're gonna do that, dude. In the way they were talking, it could be a little bit warmer. And she's like, "Let me warm it up for you." She was all sexual. (laughs) It was nice. Okay, I like that. So I, I, I maybe, maybe. Are we shipping? I would say I'm gonna say they. I'm gonna say they bang for fun, just because I'm pissed if they don't. Lorraine, (laughs) you thought about that one for like 15 seconds. Lorraine, he was focused. Right, I'm not shipping. I'm not sold person. Actually, yeah, I just think it's. Totally plutonic. Well, I don't know if we learn that the award feel not ward warden not warder 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 feels uh, their pain. Do they feel their pleasure? So if like 
he makes no i'm not gonna say yeah. that anymore. so that's a good review no we so you're saying talk, double you're saying like that. double the orgasm essentially like if uh, yes the I same time, going, like is it a double is it a quadruple intensified feeling like, i literally you know, was going to say if he makes her come yeah comes. exactly but <laughs> i wasn't gonna say okay that yeah. will come up oh, oh come come up too <laughs> oh okay now you got me all, all haunted. Well, real quick, I think we did just skip one scene where we learn that Matt's parents suck a lot. Yeah. True. Yeah, I, I, have, I have that in my notes. Just Matt's parents suck. I pretty much tried to black that out of my memory because <laughs> that might be one of my least favorite changes from the books. Oh, that's just... I will say that his, Matt's parent, Matt's dad, rather, Abel, Abel Cawthon, stand up gentleman in the books. But I, it just kind of gives him a little bit more of a fleshed out backstory, I guess you could say. Like why he steals and shit. And I think we also got the the Perrin's wife scene too, but right? Did that not happen yet? Yeah. Perrin goes in to see Layla just in the yeah. in the mill working the, the forge and doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a goddamn word, but Perrin's saying, like, hey, why weren't you there? And uh, this scene didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then I learned that she's a made-up character, and I was like, "Hey, that might be why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense." <laughs> like, it's just giving him a little bit depth. It's not really worth like, you know, staying on. But, Give uh, this man a girlfriend, and we'll fucking kill her. <laughs> Spoilers, wife, bro, a wife. a wife. Yeah. All right. So post the scene when they're in the when they're in the hot tub, right? And they're talking mm. about the main quote that happens at the end of that scene is Lan asking Marine who the dragon is, and she still doesn't know. Mm. That's the important part. But then also during that night, we get a quick flash of our first glimpse at the infamous Eyeless. Mm. And this is going to be the Lord of the Rings equivalent of the what do they call Lord of the Rings? Orcs. No, dude, the freaking they're like the 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 the, oh. the Nazgul, the Nazguls, Nazgul. I'm going to say that one more time. <laughs> if I say it enough, I might. Yeah, Nazgul or Black Riders. Okay, well, I was yeah. gonna say I know them more as something Riders, but Black yeah, Riders. Yeah. So we get the first shot of what that is, and that's basically the step up from the the foot soldiers for the Dark Army. But more importantly, the next day we flash to a new character who is just has the most charismatic smile I've ever seen in this entire show. We get the introduction of Pot on Fane, who is just seems to be a traveling merchant that's coming into town. And then he sells something to Matt. We get a, a little bit of an exchange there. And to be honest, man, I just love anytime. I just I hate that I love Matt so much because I feel like he's just funny. Like he's he's always looking for deals. Like you you already know he's a little bit of a thief and stuff like that. He's trying to like sell stolen goods to Pot on Fane. And we get that whole exchange. And I think we're all geared. The reason he's there, as you know, is the sell the yearly celebration Beltines happening. So shit's popping. Mm. Like trying the whole town profit. is starting. What'd you say? Oh, I thought you were talking about pot on still. Like, he is. Just like no, no, he's no, just no, trying to make about, a profit. He's he's no, making a killing on lamps right now. Yeah. yeah. Because this is the this is the most social time of year for this for Emmons Field. Right. This right, is right, when right, like right. the celebrations happening. Everyone's People bad. are coming from all across, you know, like whoever is gonna come around the town, it's now. So that's what's happening. The, the town's all bustling, and that's pretty much where we're at the next day. I would say, honestly, for me personally, as a newbie to all this, two most interesting characters right now at this point in time would be Patton. Patton? Is that how you say it? Patton Fane. Patton Fane and Matt. Those two, I just like think charisma and personality and the yeah. fact that like Patton was able to just watch everything happen when everything goes to shit and just kind of like casually turn around and just says something that... It piques my interest. A lot. Okay, nice. Keep it in the back of your mind then. Yeah. But then we also have like right after this is is when Rand's being all moody, right? We have the whole like Wayne and Rand scene. You know, this is just a typical love interest. Well, they it turns into the conversation about how Egwene says that she's basically being nominated to be Nynaeve's wisdom apprentice. Wisdom apprentice. And the wisdom is just is is like a maester from Game of Thrones. They're healers. And the thing about their faction is they don't marry or have kids. So that's obviously going to be a huge wow. rift between Rand and um, Egwene and like the idea. She already they already mentioned it a little bit before in the post sexy time scene. But like they talk about it a little bit more here. And this is just where it's it's starting to boil up because it, it blows up a little bit later. Yeah. She also this is the first time she says like, hey, uh, she says I can like listen to the wind if I try hard enough. And that's when you get the first uh, introduction to, you know, that is kind of their source of the one power, the one power. Yeah. yeah. 
Speaking of Nynaeve, we get a really interesting meeting between her and Moraine at mm-hmm. these sacred pools. So their relationship from the get-go is obviously very fraught. Nynaeve does not like Moraine. Moraine is a stranger in the village. It obviously doesn't help her that she is an Aes Sedai as well. Moraine kind of asks her, or she's kind of asking her almost probing questions to get information about her, and Nynaeve does not like it. So we basically find out that Nynaeve is 25, so she's a little bit older than Rand, Egwene, Matt, and Perrin. We're all 20. Yes. And so this, in Moraine's eyes, is kind of like, you're a little bit too old to be the Dragon Reborn. But Nynaeve in this scene, I think, is just so amazing because everyone else is afraid of the eyes to die. Like, the reaction in the Wine Spring Inn when they hear Sadai is everyone's like, oh, shit. But, oh my gosh. Yeah, but Nynaeve is in her face in this scene. Not almost, but she's kind of yelling at her a little bit. Because of the story about her grandmother being treated like shit by yeah. the Aes Sedai faction. Yeah, of course. But it's just like a great characterization of Nynaeve is someone she does not take shit. You say her grandmother? When yeah. she says the old wisdom that brought me here? Because the, the, the story she tells of why she hates Aes Sedai is because I think, doesn't she say her grandmother? It's not her grandmother. It is the old wisdom. It's, okay. it's yeah, the old wisdom who brought her first started here in the wind at 15 and then, you know, went all the way to the White Tower, mm-hmm. which I have White Castle in my notes, <laughs> which is just hysterical because that's a fast food place. And then, like, you know, got turned away because they took one look at her and was like, mm, no. Mm-hmm. So apparently, the old wisdom found Nynaeve and brought her to the two rivers when Nynaeve's parents died. Okay, that helps clear up a lot for me, at least on my perspective. Yes. So Nynaeve insinuates that old wisdom dies. She says, like, up into her death, but I don't know. I kind of want to learn more about her. I hope she's not dead. I hope she comes back. I'm sure she'll be referenced a little bit more. She seems like to have an importance in this in this whole wheel of time thing that There's, yeah the reason like i mean everything is laid it seems like this is a big destiny kind of thing and everything has been laid out for a reason so I'm, i would hope that we get a little bit more on naive and specifically the old wisdom's backstory we still have a few unanswered questions about naive that we you know get in episode three yeah I mean, so she is a mystery one eighth of the way from completion <laughs> so i would hope so yeah so we transition from this conversation to just a very quick interaction between naive and Egwene. So this is kind of more of a a mentor apprentice scene. They listen to the wind. And I think the important thing here is that Nynaeve says that she does not like what is going on with the wind. So just a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of foreboding of shit's kind of about to hit the fan. And the thing that they hear is just straight up the eyeless scream, right? Isn't that kind of what it is? When they say, like, I haven't heard anything like this before. Uh, To me, it sounded like the same pitch of like, ah, like the eyeless scream. Really? I feel like I heard actual voices. Maybe I'm thinking of, I might be thinking of Britannia. No, I heard somebody. (laughs) (laughs) I might be thinking of the voices she hears. Yeah, she's, there's definitely like groans and like screeches. Okay, there you go. Shout out to the end of this episode. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. So we have kind of one big scene before the big scene of episode one to cap us off. But Rand and Tam, we've established, don't live in the village. So they return back home to the Althor farm. And they kind of have their own little Beltine festival. So we kind of learn that people are lighting these lanterns and they're passing them off in a way to connect to the spirits of people that they love. They kind of get a little bit more into actually a lot of it more into the wheel of time. Tam has a very nice quote where he essentially says that they're talking about what they do with their next lives. Ran asked when his mom would be reborn. And Tam just says, all we can do is the best we can with the life that's been given to us. Take comfort from it that no matter what happens, what pain we face, what heartbreak, even death, the wheel keeps turning always. We try again and maybe do a little better the next time. I just fucking love Tam Althor, and I'm just so glad they gave him this little monologue because A, I love the character, and B, this actor is amazing. And they focus a lot on like they're they're explicitly saying like these people believe in reincarnation. Yeah. Which is Something that I thought was sort of metaphorical for a while when I was reading the books. I mean, I didn't think it was metaphorical, but I thought that everybody else thought it was metaphorical. But it sounds like the people in the show, like literally believe that they're just going to be they're going to keep being reincarnated. Yep. Yeah. There's a line later on in episode three where they said, you know, the wheel didn't give me options. And it's like, oh, okay, so like. You can blame everything on the wheel. You that's some people do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some some like, people hey, definitely give, do. Give me shit. Right, I mean, it's just how it is. The, the fucking wheel. 
we move from this very nice monologue where we learn about the Wheel of Time to danger is pretty imminent at this point. We see Moraine looking over the village and Lan comes to her and says, like, the Trollocs are here. They have a fade. So we're kind of sitting there thinking, what the fuck is going on? As everyone is now dancing and partying, and I will like to throw this one line in there that the Beltine Festival, like we had mentioned, is about calling your, the spirits of people that you loved and they light the lanterns. Anyone who was a One Piece fan and who was caught up in the manga, the Flower Festival, the oh, I'm sorry, the Fire Festival in the Flower Capital in Wano is this exact religious so, festival. Yeah. They are partying. They light the lanterns to, to bring the souls of their loved ones back. I just thought that was a really nice little tidbit there. So we're square dancing and this scrawny, unfortunate young man mm. catches a trollagax in the back and bedlam and chaos ensue. Just fucking what did you guys think of your first look at what a trollic was like what we're working with as foot soldiers yeah. in the dark ones army? I was like, yo, that came out of nowhere. I thought we were smiling and have a good time. And all of a sudden, you know, this twig that Kyle mentioned all of a sudden, he just thank God he died first. So he didn't have to see anything else. But he his body falls when you see the trollic that threw the axe just scream. And his horns was menacing. You could obviously tell he was taller. I was like, yo, these are terrifying. Dude, they're fucking horrifying. And it seemed like everybody else in Two Rivers was like, yo, who is this? What are these things? So it's this, the first time they're seeing it. So they're freaking the hell out, too. If I'm going to be honest, though, when we get to these kinds of scenes of just like pure happiness, like I feel like I've seen it so many times. We just get to these festivals, <laughs> these times of joy. It's just like this is setting up for the utmost failure. And I'm not going to say like I predicted that skinny dude to get fucked right away. Like I didn't think things were going to happen that quickly, but seeing the truck, the CGI on it, whatever, the makeup combination, I don't know how they did it, whatever it was, it was terrifying. It really was. And going back for my rewatches, it's really cool seeing because my first rewatch, I thought, I thought they all looked the identical. Yeah. I thought they were all the same looking, but on the rewatch, you kind of notice the individual character characteristics of each animal that they kind of represent. And that was really cool because the one that's about to like fuck up Nynaeve and Egwene is like a pig. Mm -hmm. The one that's fucking up Perrin is a wolf. Like, yeah, it's just really cool to see the distinction because on my first watch, I'm like, these things are this. Not that like I minded them looking alike. I was just like, they just looked alike to me. I didn't notice it. And this was a uh, an Amazon fun fact or like an X factor fact. So if you watch on Amazon Prime, they have little fun facts that can pop up at each scene. So they are, they're basically, they're human animal hybrids. They were like experiments that created this army. Like Luke had said, they're just kind of the foot soldiers for the army of the shadow. Right. They're the orcs of. Yeah. That's a very good yeah, parallel. Exactly. Middle earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say, um, I have a note here that all of the wardrobes are just so good. Like I props to, I don't know. What are they called? The special, not the special effects. The costume to make up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah, basically uh wardrobe department. Fucking phenomenal. I mean, the way they, we've talked about the different factions multiple times already. It's so easy to, to tell where somebody's from just from what they're wearing. But to go along with that, the Trollocs, my God, there was a lot of CGI, but there was a lot of shit that wasn't CGI. And it looked really good. Just want to also point out, though, that Wheel of Time, the book series is infamous. It, not infamous because that makes it sound bad. It's it's very famous for how much Robert Jordan cared about clothing. Like that is incredibly important to the story, and it's it's cool that you picked that up because that that's super important to him. Every if you read the books, every single character basically gets described what they're wearing and super specific. Some people get annoyed by it, but it's important in the long run. And it is so. The Trollocs are all people in suits. Okay, life. so it yeah. is like a combination yeah, of no, like they makeup are, and yeah, costume. And they are like men that. in suits on like, like pegs. They're stilts, on stilts, yeah. yeah, that they built, that they molded individually to all of their feet. Holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I so they like that. it's like a like if you wore like a so gorilla that's why costume. They could make it more natural when they run. It makes them more natural when they run yeah. a little bit. A lot of it is yeah, just people moving and swinging. They they really wanted to do that. And I think personally i thought it came out really well yeah, yeah. Definitely. i really i was gonna make this comment too while we we're watching but i just love how the trollocs look also when they're on all fours it's just like kind of more menacing like it's obvious it's clear that they're like almost two times as fast on all fours which mm -hmm. makes sense versus when they're running on their two legs which is still pretty fucking fast to be honest 
but it's cool seeing those two sides of the Trollocs. So everyone kind of scatters as you would if these fucking things from your nightmares came and, and flew everywhere. That's kind of the, the initial part of the battle, though Dave did mention very uh, with his good eagle eyes over there that Pat and Fane was in the background and kind of slipped out. So that's a nice catch by Dave. Mm-hmm. But I just want to, I guess, transport really quickly to the Althor farm because the Trollocs also come there. It's not a Trollocs, or rather it's not Trollocs, it's a Trolloc just busts into the Althor farm. And we learn a little bit about Tam Althor in this scene. So what were we thinking when Tam Althor just goes under the bed, grabs this case that obviously he put there with care and whips out this sword? He's got some moves. That, that was my first like, thought is he got some moves. I like your moves. You can really know how to move. He can really move. Um, so when he pulls out the chest, there's like the little emblem on it, which we learn is the heron emblem. Well, we don't learn it yet. Somebody told me. So we, he pulls out the chest and there's an emblem on it and it looks like a heron. And the, honestly, the way he acted when the Trolloc first came in, he didn't panic. He didn't scream like everybody else is. He kind of got a serious look in his face. So you're like, OK, this guy's been around the block. He's got some experience and he wasn't afraid to fight it. He knew he could you know, take it on, at least give it a fight. And I thought it was great. The choreography of that fight was sweet. They made him look. That's how you legitimately would have to do it. You know, like how he was blocking, slicing slowly. He wasn't like he was just like a quick murder, you know, and he almost died still. Yeah, he got hit on it. And I think it helps, too, that they were actual people. Like now that you're telling me that they were actual people on stilts, it makes yeah. it better for those kinds of fight scenes because because it makes it real. Yeah. It makes it legitimate. You don't see fake slashes and question why that went there or whatever. Yeah, but... the choreography is more legit, I would say. Exactly. They that's even... why I absolutely love it in this episode. And the behind the scenes, too, with Yasha and Michael, who is Rand and Tam, they had said that the first time they shot the scene when the trial kicks on the door, they both looked at each other and were like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, that's scary. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Hell yes. Yeah, so I just that. very small fun fact that I just it's so fucking funny to me is that so in the books, when this attack happens, there is a Trolloc that speaks to Rand. What? His name is Narg. Mm-hmm. He's very <laughs> famous in the community. So Narg, he speaks like a caveman would like Narg smart and things like that. And he tries <laughs> to like talk to Rand and be like, just come with me. Like, it'll be cool. <laughs> like, really? so yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. He talks to him. OK, so that was. That might go along with, you know, my next question. I said earlier, you know, I have a question about uh, how far away is their farm from the rest of the villages? Because why the hell is a trollic all the way out here? Is it especially only one? So it's my first thought was like, hey, like, is he attracted to the lanterns? Because they have one lantern like all the way up there. But when you say that, it makes me think that you know whoever is in charge of him told this individual wants to go get him because you know this person could be the doctor the dragon the doctor doctor is in baby baby. i also liked how you know when lan gets hit finally ham lamb ham tam tam No way that just happened. No way that just fucking happened. It's been a long day. Leave all of that on the podcast. Ham Lamshin. Lamb? It's episode one of season one, so we'll give that one a pass. When Tam gets injured, it really just does show you that these Trollocs will overpower you. They are way stronger. It is an old dude. Tam is an old dude, but he they are just way stronger. And does it not also show in contrast to how fucking epic Lan is at the end of this episode fighting the Trollocs? Yeah. Like, okay, obviously Tam knows his shit. He's fighting with this epic sword and he's actually pretty much beats it almost by himself. And then you see Lan who's taking on so many. That just puts so much respect on on just his name. Like he's such a good fighter. And oh God, I just love it all. Just love what it means, what the implications of of how strong these fucking Trollocs are and what it means for Lan and how strong he is. And it's really annoying because I want more of him and I don't know when the story could possibly come back in time. Are you talking about Tam? Tam. Yeah. Okay. You'll see. Him? <laughs> well, yeah. You will see. That's all I'll say. How about that? All right. So we transition from the Althor farm back to Evansfield and I'm just going to speed run what goes on real quick in this whole fight because so much shit happens. 
but we have Nynaeve and Egwene trying to go head to head against a Trollic. Moraine saves them with a quick little weave and then starts hurling fucking fireballs while she's doing the dance of death with Lan, essentially. So shout out to Lan, like Luke was just saying. We have the Edmonds Fielders, the villagers actually team up to take down a Trolloc of their own, which I thought was a great little scene. We have Perrin and Layla are now in the forge battling Trollocs themselves. Perrin picks up an axe, starts doing his damn thing. Layla picks up the hammer, starts doing her damn thing. We transition now to Matt, and he's trying to find his sisters. We transition back to Moraine, and she is throwing lightning, which I thought was the best use of the power in all three episodes. Then we have a Trolloc. We move back to Nynaeve and Egwene, and Nynaeve gets snatched by a Trolloc, and it's like, holy fuck, she's gone. And then we get to a scene back at the forge. (laughs) Someone needs to take it away because I Let's, can't talk about this. Okay, yeah. So to me, this scene was just I watched it three times. I've seen this episode three times, maybe four. Can't even remember. It just made me so emotional and sick because we have the gentle giant parent himself just crushing it like him and his girl. They're a fucking dangerous duo and such a good contrast to Moraine and Lan who are doing their shit out there. Like, I point. honestly was so hyped to see how good both of these two work together. It just showed how strong their relationship was. But of course we get the tragic depth that we're going to add to parents character of oh God, it's even hard to fucking say. So parent takes care of his own business and kills the Trolloc and actually has a moment of rage where he loses himself and just starts absolutely just axing the fuck out of the Trolloc. And in his rage, He turns in hyper-aggressive, sensitive mode and sees a shape coming at him from behind and just uh, puts the blade right into his girl. And they have (laughs) just a moment where he is just holding her. She's bleeding out, choking on blood, and he's just tears in his eyes. Just look at me. Look at me. Keep looking at me. And my fucking God, that is just such a powerful moment to explain all of parents' actions and his personality traits going forward. That that is, it's just a powerful moment. You got to keep that in the back of your mind of where parents coming from. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I would, I would kill myself. Yes. Like immediately after. These are the moments that will define a man. And wow, parent is, and I love how well they show it in the next coming episodes. But he's just so fucked up, and as well as you should be. I mean, what he did, and I, I, I made this comment as we were watching again with Paul that. I really like the ringing of the ears in that scene as he's swinging the axe so aggressively against the trolloc. It's literally the adrenaline is building up in him. He's like, holy shit, I just fucking killed one of these things. And like, you hear something from behind you and it's got to be a trolloc and you just swing that axe. And it's I I can't believe it. It's when I was watching it with this time around, I was literally only looking at Paul and my friend, other (laughs) friend Alki's reaction and just both of their faces dropped. And I couldn't get enough of that sadness. Well, definitely wasn't. (laughs) expecting it a few things to cover of what we just talked about to go off that sound that parent was hearing i will Mm say first time i watched i was like yeah why would you do that come on like and dave actually says you know he does kind of go into a mode that ringing really emphasizes the 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 feelings that he has in that moment and it makes you think yo somebody else putting that ring in his head making him do okay i see you destiny because he also he's had some intense experiences with the dark one as well so there also was a, a quick moment where the like the forge, the coals in the forge get hit and he gets like a lot of soot and stuff in his eyes. OK, so he is just completely disoriented. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. that. OK, that he makes didn't feel... mean to kill her is what I'm trying to say. Right? <laughs> she had a she over, <laughs> she overcooked <laughs> the roast. It's, just, oh my it's, God. it's also funny in those moments, too, when you when that happened. Like it took like a couple seconds for both Alki and Paul's faces to kind of drop because like your mind doesn't process it right yeah. away. But like I knew it was coming. So it happens. I look over and they're just like, and she'll, then it happens. She'll be and then, fine. Yeah. She'll, and then the, and then the okay. realization as she's choking on the blood is like, okay, this is actually happening. Right and now. she's gone. Before we get to like the aftermath of like all this whole battle, we're going to touch on a couple of things that Kyle Speed ran through because this is the scene that you can tell how much money and care went to this show. Like this yeah. was just so fucking orgasmic for me to see, bro. <laughs> when I when Moraine does the whole you see the power flowing above her, right? And it follows and it follows the, the threads yeah. going up and it just keeps going higher, higher, higher. And it goes into the clouds and she just fucking summons lightning down i just like has that that is just oh I, I just can't imagine them 
doing a better scene of channeling than that moment. Yeah, it was. It almost feels so like we blew our load with her bringing the lightning down. Yeah, because holy fuck, I thought it looked so good. How are you gonna top that? And then the upcoming episodes, man. But we'll and do it. But fuck. A couple other things though, like you definitely get a good sense that the one power they always refer to it as, right? is in everything. It's just it's just flowing throughout the entire world. It's in the stones of the building. It's in fire. And you see that when Moraine needs it for the final strike, she's literally using all of her ability to absorb the power that she can to save the village, basically. And just that that explicit showing of that was really good for me. And I think that it, it gives a it's just a good baseline to know how powerful Aes Sedai really are. I have one complaint. Just one. Okay. I think the final move that she did to wipe out all the Trollocs was weaker than the move of using lightning to her advantage. So she spent all that power to just kind of like shoot rocks from a building. And then earlier we saw her literally summoning fire and shooting lightning. And that all was really cool versus, I mean, it was really well done still at the end of the day, but this is my, as of right now, my only one complaint of episode one really is that, all the moves she had done prior to that final move were stronger. So the way I interpreted it was that they constantly say like, Oh, like bless the lights or like light be with you or Mm -hmm. something like that. So when she summoned down the lightning, it caused the tree to go on fire and they like focused on that tree on fire for a little bit. And then later on Moraine, you know, when she's doing her finishing move, she like pulls and she says like, what does she say? Like light be with me or yeah. like light help me or something like that and pulls. And it looks like the, the white threads wisp of smoke are from coming fire. from the light, mm-hmm. which makes me think, okay, one is that the source of her power. And two, is that why the Trollocs attacked at night is because do they have, like, I don't know. I might be reading too much into yeah, it. But we like, love you for your tinfoil. Yeah, like, of course. They, yeah, just shoot them out. Do the Aes Sedai have more power during the daytime when there's actual light around and stuff? That's like an that. actually interesting theory. I'm already going to disagree with it. I will say that channeling the one power, like Luke had mentioned, that it's kind of in everything. It's very tied to nature. So when you see it pulling from the fire, and I think that the lightning itself is a more natural use of the power than moving huge stones you know what i mean like fighting gravity Mm -hmm. that would be my canon explanation for that but i will say that we are going to learn so much more about the one power and the way it's used that everything will start to make sense and also my quick don't even know the answer to this as well can also take it like this is when she's using the lightning and she's shooting the fireballs in the beginning that's her using the her innate ability to pull the you know just use the tap into the source but i thought that it was showing that like that last ditch attempt to like use the power and throw the rocks and stuff that is like basically her exerting herself past her limit and now she's not just using her own power she's borrowing from everything around her meaning it's not the hype of her the top part of her power but it's like her last ditch effort of just Mm -hmm. i i have no more in me i'm going to pull from what i can around me but again, I don't even have an answer to that, so I don't know. No, that's fine. I, like I said, I might be nitpicking with that one, but yeah. I was just something I noticed. Really quickly, I just want to say that Rand, the first time that Moraine and Lan walked into the tavern and the inn, Rand has line to, I believe it's Matt saying like, oh, they say like one nice die can change the the tide of battle and mm-hmm. i was like yeah well you guys are getting your shit kicked in by trollocs and then all of a sudden moraine the one yeah, that there comes out, perfect example of that. yeah they would have been ruined <laughs> even if it was just land they probably might have been ruined but with her not being there would have been insane and shout out the mind meld choreography of land and marine because yes. when she's dot she's not even looking she's using the power she like ducks out of land's way yeah, she like closes just, her eyes it's amazing it's yeah. amazing how controlled and connected they are they made that up on the spot. Like the Shit, two of they, them like came up with that idea while they were filming and like, let's do it like this. That's so fucking cool. Because yeah. That's arguably my favorite part of yeah. the whole first episode is her ducking with her eyes closed and land just slices the trollic. Like they're just, their mind melt is amazing. They're just in sync. And real quick, I just want to say I had in my notes, we do not see Nynaeve die. She just gets pulled away. I refused to believe that she was dead. Just putting that out there that, yeah, okay. I appreciate your belief in her. Okay. So we come to the next morning 
devastation abound. Rand rolls in with Tam on a cart, and Tam is in bad shape. Rand is obviously worried about him, but he's very happy to see Egwene. He asks about Nynaeve because Nynaeve, like Luke had said earlier, is the wisdom. She is the healer of the village. Egwene breaks the bad news to him. So then they turn to Moraine Sedai. So Moraine heals Tam's wound. And I will just say, I thought it was interesting that she just closed it up. I assumed she would like maybe take the poison out. But but he even has a look on his face where he feels better. So as Tam is getting healed up, we do see Perrin carry Layla out of the forge. And it could just be where like it had to happen at the same time of everything else the next morning. But I think it's interesting to think that he kind of stayed with her all night. That just adds even more to like the mental anguish that like he was just kind of almost hanging out with her dead body. He definitely didn't sleep. Yeah, there's no way he's getting any sleep after that. The only thing left in this episode besides the amazing quote that Kyle started the podcast on is this is where Moraine and Land, they basically tell all the survivors that you guys are the Taviran. We're going to the White Tower because one of you guys is essentially the drag is the doctor, the dragon reborn. And this is just (laughs) basically just the classic opening that we've been referencing, like Lord of the Rings. It's time to go. We have our purpose. You understand the threat. You understand our powers. You listen to us. Let's let's fucking get it. Adventure start. And I guess a quote to end us with, since we already used the actual ending quote at the start, is that Moraine says to them, your lives are no longer your own. Bang. We had to go through a lot of that super detail because it's the opening episode. So many characters you're getting introduced, so many concepts. But stick with us. This is just a fucking nerd's dream right now. So. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 